the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Time for Grace to the Bay with Dr. Roger Chen. Dr. Chen is the pastor at Grace Church of the Bay Area, a church committed to glorifying the Lord Jesus Christ through verse-by-verse expository preaching to learn exactly what God has revealed in His Word. Now, here's Dr. Chen with today's message. Well, it's a new year, and we're starting a new book in 1 Corinthians. And we'll probably be in this book for uh, a while, probably uh, a couple years, if not more. If you're joining us this morning, uh, we practice what's called expository preaching, which basically is a study and preaching through the Bible verse by verse, uh, sometimes word by word. Well, as, be- as we begin, I want you to think about uh, the correspondence you may get from friends or family. When you never, you, whenever you receive any sort of correspondence, the foundation of knowing the context of what follows is knowing who it is that is corresponding with you, knowing who it is that is communicating with you. Though less common these days than electronic communication, whenever I receive a written letter or a card, if the, the envelope doesn't tell me, I skip to the back and see who wrote it before I start the letter. All of us, even in this modern age, have experienced perhaps sending a text message to a friend you haven't contacted in a while or who recently uh, lost their phone and got a new one and they said, sorry, who is this? Because even if it's something like, happy birthday, happy new year, sorry, new phone, who is this? They want to know exactly who it is that is communicating with them. Well, for us, as we begin our study of 1 Corinthians, Naturally, we start with the who, and that is not just because of the principles I have laid out, but also because that's where the Holy Spirit begins as well. Follow along as I read 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 1. Paul, called as an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother. We see that Paul doesn't just give his name, but also his credentials as well as mentioning this man Sosthenes, his travel and ministry companion. Let's start with Paul. Who was he? Well, he tells us here that he was called as an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, the only true apostles were the 12 disciples of Jesus Christ with Matthias replacing Judas and the apostle Paul, so 13 in total. Let's go back to his mention of his apostleship. For various reasons, often explained by the context of the church he is writing to and in his letter, Paul mentions his apostleship. In Galatians, for example, Paul's apostleship was not recognized by the Judaizers, the the false teachers that were influencing the Christians, so he explains his calling there. Here in Corinthians, Paul asserts his authority and will continue to do so throughout the book. He will provide further evidence for his apostleship in chapters 4 and 5, and we saw in chapter 9 and elsewhere. 
because of his difficult relationship with them. It's not that they denied his apostleship, but there were some issues going on there. They were at odds with their founder, the founder of the church. They are judging him, uh, though not outright denying. They are scrutinizing his apostleship. In many ways, they are disrespecting him, which for Paul is a concern, not because of his personal ego, but because of the authority that he holds and him wanting them to embrace the scriptures. Because especially at that time in the early church, while the New Testament was still being penned, you attack the authority of the apostles, you attack the authority of everything. Right? They were the ones who were setting the foundation of the early church. And so they're disrespecting him. They're stabbing him in the back. His relationship uh, with the Corinthians is very challenging and very difficult, made all the more difficult because of his overwhelming love for them. And so this isn't a means of self-glory or a sign of pride. He's simply explaining his credentials to explain his authority and to remind these people, hey, stop sinning. Stop doing some of these disgusting things you are doing and get your act together. So he's explaining his credentials, much like I did a few weeks ago when we had a guest speaker, much like when you go to a conference, a Christian conference or a work conference, they explain who the keynote speaker is. They introduce him. The bio is in the the conference handbook. The idea is that it grabs your attention. It informs you or reminds you of why you should listen to this person. When I introduce a speaker, or when someone else introduces me at another church, you may not recognize this, But a good or bad introduction of a speaker by someone that is familiar to that group can make or break the sermon. Because you know me, you trust me, and so if I say this guy has been well-trained, this guy is a godly man, this guy is about to tell you truth, trust him, then you're going to trust him versus him having to spend the first 10 minutes of his sermon trying to gain your trust. And so it's a similar idea here. He reminds them of the authority and calling that he has. So go back to 1 Corinthians if you're not there. As we go through 1 Corinthians, we'll see various teachings that affirm his role of, uh, of an apostle as it relates specifically to these believers in Corinth, the Corinthians. And so this isn't uh, what we're going to look at here is not necessarily qualifications of an apostle, but we see how in this letter he is living out his love for them and his ministry of apostleship to them. In chapter 1 and verse 17, the gospel ministry. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not in cleverness of speech, so that the cross of Christ would not be made void. He says, I've preached the gospel to you. This was why I was there. He is their spiritual father. Turn to chapter 4 and verse 15. For if you were to have countless tutors in Christ, yet you would not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. He also taught them 
the traditions of the church and about Jesus. And I, this next passage is specifically important for us today because it relates to what we will do later uh, this morning, this afternoon. Chapter 11, verses 23 through 29. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-three through 29. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself, and in so doing, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. And this is the passage I make mention of almost every time we serve communion. Obviously, it was, as Paul mentions here, it was Jesus himself who instituted communion, the remembrance through the Lord's table, the Lord's supper. But here, Paul helps explain it, the significance of it, and the severity of it if practiced uh, in the wrong way with the wrong heart attitude. So, back to chapter 1 and verse 1, he begins by reminding them of his calling. Now keep in mind that an apostle of Jesus Christ is not just, as we saw earlier, a witness to Christ in terms of experience and knowledge and doctrine. But we know that these were also men who lived out Christ's life and resurrection and served as a foundational model for the rest of the church for the last 2,000 years and for however long, much longer the church will exist should the Lord tarry. Paul goes on in verse 1 to mention his companion Sosthenes. This would not mean that he is a co-author but was an associate of Paul's. Mentioning him in particular would indicate that the Corinthians knew who Sosthenes was. This was emphasized by the fact that he refers to him not as my brother but our brother, Corinthians, our brother Sosthenes. There isn't much else we know about Sosthenes. There's a good chance he is the same person mentioned as in Acts chapter 18. And even there, all we read is that he was the leader of the synagogue in Corinth and was beaten. Perhaps the most significant part of that is the beating uh, that he endured was actually a beating that was meant for Paul. In fact, in Acts 18.17, it isn't even clear who beat him. This actually goes to last week when someone asked in our Q&A, um, how can we know that the Bible is true and inerrant? And I mentioned that there are some ancient manuscripts um, that have some differences, but none of the differences, uh, no, no doctrine hangs on any of those differences. This would be one of them. Some of the ancient manuscripts say it was the Jews who beat Sosthenes. Other ancient manuscripts say it was the Greeks. 
we don't know, and it really doesn't impact our faith or our doctrine at all. However, if it was the Jews, it would have been uh, for his poor representation of them in the court, if you're familiar with what's happening in that passage. If the Greeks, then it would have been for taking up their valuable court time with an issue that was only important to the Jews and not for all of society. And so that's Sosthenes, but more importantly, uh, that's who Paul is and who his apostleship what his apostleship entails. So there are two ends of the spectrum here, okay, if I can make this practical for you. On the one end of the spectrum, you are not, nor is anyone else today, an apostle of Jesus Christ. If you want to use the general term as a messenger, sure, we're all messengers of Jesus Christ, right? We are all ambassadors imploring others to accept Christ in faith. But obviously, we don't use the word uh, apostle because it has different connotations within our church context. On the other end of the spectrum, when you look at the apostles, they had a specific calling, they had a specific role, and we will see in, I'm not even guess how long, a few months, that they also had specific gifts that are no longer in practice today. However, they had the same Holy Spirit. They had the same faith. In other words, there wasn't uh, some sort of uh, hidden conversion prayer that they prayed. It was the same prayer of faith to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. It was the same baptism. It's the same Word of God. It, it It was all that. And so the danger that I want us to avoid is to say, oh, none of us are apostles today, and none of us are even modern missionaries, and so that's for them, not for us. Yes, establishing the church. Yes, healing people miraculously. That's for them, not for us. But preaching the gospel, that's not just for anyone. That's for all of us. Building up the church, that's for all Christians. Encouraging one another, uh, repenting of sin, calling out sin, calling out false teachers, avoiding temptation, that's for all of us. And I feel like especially here in North America, as the clock ticks on, as we've entered another decade and before you know it, what you said a couple days ago, you're going to be saying again in 10, year, in, a, in 10 years, I can't believe it's already another decade because time flies like that. As we grow in age as a country, as a society, as a culture, I feel like there's more and more just mediocrity in Christianity. And I know that there are a lot of social and cultural factors in that. We are more private more than ever, right? We, we show strangers more pictures than ever on the Internet of our family and our meals and, you know, our new shoes or whatever it is, how much we can fit in our purse, things like that, right? But we're more private. We're more scared because of hackers and credit card fraud and identity theft and all those types of things. And so when we share the gospel with someone like just once a week, we feel like we've done something wonderful. That is something wonderful. But that's not what the scriptures say. That isn't, 
You know, scriptures don't say pray for six months and then muster up the, 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 uh, the courage to share the gospel briefly and nervously to one person. This is your life. This is your, your God. This is your church. This is your Christ. This is your Savior. Right? And I think we can learn so much from the early church. We're, we're careful, right? We're careful not to say that this is all for us, everything they did. But at the same time, I think we throw out the baby with the bathwater, so to speak. Or we say, well, I'm not an apostle, or even I'm not a pastor, I'm not an elder, I'm not a deacon, I'm not a this and this, right? Whatever, whatever role or function in the church that we don't want to do, we say, well, I'm not that. I'm not a pastor. Well, the deacons do that too. They're preaching the gospel. Then, well, I'm not a deacon. Oh, well, just, you know, the guy who brings the coffee, he's an evangelist. Well, I'm not the coffee guy. And, well, the guy who shines, well, I'm not the shoe shine. You know, we just want to be less to excuse our mediocre Christianity. And I've said this before to you guys and probably haven't said it in a while, but there's, there's this term, we probably don't use it that often, that we call radical Christianity, right? The people who are just sold out for Jesus, right? There's, there's tens of thousands of them on certain weekends at certain nationwide Christian conferences, and then about a week later, they're kind of back to where they were before. But who do we call radical Christians? The, the missionaries who, by, whose biographies we read, right? Even, you know, the great preachers of old, Charles Spurgeon, radical Christianity, right? People, you know, Hudson Taylor, radical Christianity. Elizabeth Elliot, radical Christianity. There's no such thing in my mind as radical Christianity. As wonderful and as amazing and as bold and as sacrificial as those men and women were, some of them giving their lives for the cross, that's not radical Christianity. That's Christianity according to this. That should be average. That should define mediocrity. Elizabeth Elliot lost her husband preaching the gospel. Right? Famous story. The tribal people came and killed them all. And Elizabeth Elliot, the other wives, took their now fatherless children back to the tribe and converted them all. I heard the testimony once at a pastor's conference. Minkaye, one of the tribal men who killed those missionaries, he was there. He speared them to death. The son of one of the men he killed now calls Minkaye Papa because his mom brought him back to the village. They converted the whole village and they were these men who had killed their fathers helped raise these children in Christ. Amazing. That is God. But in my mind, that's what we should call just normal average Christianity. In any given conversation, even with your pastor, and especially with family and friends and coworkers, on a casual level, not from nine to five, I would venture to guess that most of us are more inclined to talk about our hobbies, to talk about the last Avengers movie, to talk about our favorite restaurant, 
to gossip about, gossip about our least favorite manager at work than we are about the one who died on the cross so that you can live forever with him. And if I'm the only one who sees a problem with that, perhaps that's the bigger problem. We need to follow in the footsteps of the men like Paul that God ordained to establish the church and to set the standard and the model and the example for us. No, you are not an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. But you are a teacher by the will of God. You are a father, a son, a brother, a parent, an engineer, a computer scientist, whatever it may be. And God has placed you wherever you are, most of us here in the United States of America, even though many of our parents came from other countries, God placed us here for a reason. And as much as you may dislike your job and feel like everyone around you, all your coworkers, are liberal and hate God and don't want to hear the gospel, God chose you to be not only in that company, but on that particular floor, in that particular cubicle, next to that particular individual, under that particular supervisor. And God did not call you before the beginning of time, as he did with the Apostle Paul, so that you could have a good job, pay the bills, get married, raise a family, and then enjoy heaven forever. He called you so that you could raise a family and disciple your children. So you can have a job so that you will know unbelievers that you can share the gospel with. So that you can have, fam- you can have finances that pay the bills so that you can survive, yes, but then the extra doesn't go just to going out to eat and having fun and vocations, but to support the missionaries that you call radical Christians. This is why we're called. This is why we're here. You think God doesn't want us in heaven right now worshiping Him without any sin? There's only one thing we can do on earth that God wants us to do that we can't do in heaven, and that is preach the gospel because the unbelievers won't be there. It's not even excusing it by doing other spiritual disciplines. God doesn't want us to just study the Bible all day. When we're in heaven, we will instantly understand the Scriptures fully without any sinful bias or confusion. He doesn't want, yes, He wants us to worship Him here, but that's not all He wants to be at church all day. Otherwise, we'd be in heaven where we would worship Him sin-free forever at the very foot of His throne. I'm not saying all he wants us to do is share the gospel, but that's part of it. So let's follow this pattern of Paul. And as we look through 1 Corinthians, we're going to hear of some really gross things, some shocking things that these Christians are doing. And you may find that some of you may be doing these things behind closed doors. Some of you may be tempted to do these things. But all of it is based on them not following the pattern 
that Paul had set for him, for them rather, and that's why he says in the beginning, remember, I am an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. So the rebuke that he's about to lay on them, the scripture, the truth he's about to lay on them, he's saying, I am trying to steamroll and fix all the holes and the cracks and the bumps where you are sinning and disobeying, sometimes in a very gross fashion. And though we may not be practicing the same things that the Corinthians did, we would heed the lesson well that this establishment, this this greeting of authority sets the pattern. This is all about the will of God. This is all about the authority of the Apostle Paul. This is all about what God wants us to do. No less, no more, obey. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for a clear understanding of who Paul was, his apostleship. Thank you for this just radical way that you called him, not just from a sinful life, but a, uh, an evil, wicked, satanic way of life, persecuting and killing your people. Lord, may we always be reminded in our own lives when we are tempted to think of our sins being unforgivable or your love waxing and waning because of our temptations and sin. May we always remember the incredible work that you did not only in our own lives, but in the life of the Apostle Paul, changing him in such a radical way to become such a vessel and not living an easy life for you, but one in which he was beaten, one in which he was persecuted himself, facing really the the effects of what he once did himself to other Christians. And Father, in that vein, may we now as we take communion be reminded of the words we read earlier and take this seriously to understand what we have been called to do, who we have been called to be as we take communion. In Jesus' name, amen. This has been Grace to the Bay with Dr. Roger Chen. Grace to the Bay is the radio ministry of Grace Church of the Bay Area, practicing and proclaiming the purity of biblical truth. You're invited to join them for worship service in Burlingame, Sundays at 11 a.m. Visit the website gracebayarea.org for directions and other information, or to view a live stream of the service. As a listener-supported program, we ask that you consider making a tax-deductible donation so that we can continue to share Pastor Roger's teaching with you each week. Donations can be made through our website, kfax.com. 